Wifey, sweetheart, I'm sure you're watching this. Happy Valentine's Day. I love you more now than even when I said I will marry you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. We thank God for, for love. But more important than that is the love that God has for us. We hear it every day, and sometimes it becomes, you know, you're just used to, oh, God loves me. Ah, what else is new? Tell me something more. My prayer with what I'm going to share with us today is we'll at least we'll get an inkling to how, how deep that love is. Why he calls himself a jealous God. That's the term lovers use. Yes, we know him as father, and that is true. We know him as God, and that is correct. But when he says he's jealous over you, and my name is Jealous, that's, that's, that's love. There are some things people do just because they're in love. I'm sure all of us that are lovers here know what I'm talking about. Amen. All right. Um, the title of uh, what I, th I think uh, the Lord wants me to share with us today is what I term the call of God aligning with his purpose. This year, the word that, our uh, that God gave our pastor is a year of spiritual alignment. So I'm praying to God that this message will help us to align with his purpose, to align with his purpose. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as, I'm, as we go into your word today, this morning, Lord, I pray for myself. I ask, Father, I just want to be your instrument. Lord, none of me, in the sense of none of my ideas and opinions, yes, it's still me you're going to use, but Father, I want to be like what Jesus said, that the words that I speak are not from my own authority, he said. He said, but it's the Father walking in me that's responsible for those words. Lord, I ask, let nothing of me impede your work in the name of Jesus. Lord, let me speak as your oracle. Father, I pray for my hearers, wherever they may be. Lord, from Roselle to Sweden, as Pastor said. Lord, open up their hearts to understand the scriptures. Father, help them to really, really know how much you love them what you have done, what you are currently doing in their lives. Let it be crystal clear. Lord, my Father, my God, that those, my Father, my God, people may know you and know their calling in the name of Jesus. Father, we ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Father, open hearts, open eyes, open ears. Father, that we may hear your word, understand it, and turn that you may heal. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Have you ever asked yourself, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? What is my purpose? Why did God create me? Am I just an accident? How come I'm here? Why am I in the United States? Why am I not in Afghanistan? Why am I not uh, Japanese or a South African? Why? 
Why did God create me as I am? Why am I Hispanic? Why am I not African-American? Why am I white and not Native American? Why? What is the purpose? You know, and I thank God for our brother Hubi, who took us through a series of Bible studies talking about the attributes of God. Awesome. One of the things they mentioned that I want us to zone in on was one of the attributes of God is his sovereignty. We don't talk about that enough. I get why, because obviously there's a lot of people have attached some negative connotations to that. What is God's sovereignty? He does what he wants, when he wants, the way he wants, and he asks no one's permission. That's God. He does what he wants. Sometimes we know that. I think everybody kind of knows that. The issue with us sometimes is when he wants. You can pray and pray and pray. It's when the Father wants. In fact, the disciples asked him, uh, okay, Jesus, now you are resurrected. I mean, now, okay, let's go. When are you going to give the kingdom back to Israel? Jesus was not even moved. He just said, well, you know what? Don't worry about that. Those are things that are in times and seasons and the Father's authority. He will deal with that when he thinks it's time for him to deal with that. You just go preach my gospel. He does what he wants, when he wants, the way he wants. Hmm. Gotta get used to this. The way he wants. That's why it's critical for us to know the ways of God. The way he wants. Let me give you an example. Martha and Mary were friends of Jesus. Lazarus was a very good friend of Jesus. I mean, these are people who, I mean, Martha was all over the place, trying to just make sure everybody, I mean, Jesus is coming, our church must be great. Mary was just sitting down like, just, 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 I mean, just pour, just keep on pouring. I will soak, I will soak. That was how close they were to him. But when they sent a message to Jesus, he didn't flinch. It didn't move. Why? Because God wanted to do something different. The way he wants. And he asked no one's permission. Sometimes it will give you a hint, it will ask you. But it's not as if it's asking your permission. It just wants your input to make you feel as if you're part of the process. <laughs> now, until we appreciate and honor God's sovereignty, we will be unable to understand his call on our lives. The call of God is his invitation. Let me use a bigger word. His summons. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. The call of God is his invitation. 
or summons to us to partner with him. The God of the universe. Let me try and break this down a little bit. Imagine President Barack Obama, as powerful as he was when he was president. He's powerful. But to Michelle, he's just my husband. He's just Barry or Barack or whatever nickname they have for one another, right? Even though this man is so powerful, he has the nuclear codes, if you piss him off, or at least one of the other presidents said he has a bigger button, but we'll leave that alone for now. <laughs> so, but to the wife or to the spouse, he's just the guy I met. In fact, I think there's a time they were joking. I think she said, <laughs> before he became president, when he was running the campaign, I was like, ah, I'm going to win. He said, you still have to take out the trash. <laughs> because that's the relationship. But that's the same thing God is inviting us to. He is the God of the universe. Yes. He is all powerful. Yes. He knows everything. But he wants to partner with you. He wants you to participate in his grand eternal scheme, which he put in place before time began. We're going to go to the book of Romans chapter 8, and that's where we're going to start off from. And this thing is exhaustive. I want to encourage us when we get home, go back to Romans chapter 8, and you'll just be blown away by how much God really, really, really loves you. So Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Now, you have to understand Paul and his writings. He's writing this letter, obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to the group of Christians who form up the church in Rome. All right? So as he's writing, the Holy Spirit will give him a revelation, and then he goes into that revelation for a little bit, and then he comes back. And then, so if you're not, you're just like, wow. He goes, it, so, but it's because I can imagine the Holy Spirit was already thinking beyond the Romans. He was thinking that we are going to be reading these things. Generations are going to read it. So the Holy Spirit was giving him all that inspiration. So I say that to say this. Verse 26 says in the NIV, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. In fact, the King James Version calls that infirmities. It's a sickness. You don't know what you ought to pray for. I know a lot of us think we know what we ought to pray for. But I can guarantee you that 99% of the time, maybe 100, if we go by this scripture, you do not know what you ought to pray for. Why? Because God does what he wants. When he wants, the way he wants. So you might be praying, um, God, I need a million dollars now. Because I'm $900,000 in debt, at least extra 100000 for buffer. That's a valid prayer point. But 
what is God's intention? How does that fit into his plan? But thank God, this is where I just love him. He did not just leave us there, realizing that we don't know what we are praying about, what we are praying for. We don't see things. Yesterday I was watching, as, as I was praying for this, it was a movie about, I guess, World War II. I know World War II is so remote now, we don't even, nobody even thinks about it anymore. But one of the strategies that the Allies then, the United States, did to win the war was they took their top general. This guy was not, I mean, even the Germans feared him. So the, the war in World War II, for those who don't quickly receive, was basically United States and Germany. A few other countries were involved, but those are the main guys. So the German, so they take the guy and they station him in some part of England and said, just stay there, we'll put dummies around you and make you look as if we're gonna attack from here. So they took their number one general, as in this is the guy who's been winning, that everybody fears, and put him there. And they gave him no troops, nothing. They just set up what looks like armor tank, all those things, fake ones, put it there. Just because they wanted the Germans to think they are coming from there. And the Germans left their heavy battalions sitting there waiting for the Americans to attack from there. Whereas the war was from somewhere else. They attacked from Normandy. Before they knew it, they had over, before they could get there, the Americans had gone. They were almost close to Berlin. Simply because, how does this mean? You don't know what you don't know. And the num one of the number one things about the devil is what? He's a deceiver, right? That's his job. He's been doing that from the beginning, of, I mean, from the Garden of Eden. It will create a decoy to keep you focused on the decoy whilst it's attacking from the flank. He does that all the time. But thank God, the Spirit himself, Romans 8.26 the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That's why I'm so happy when the Holy Spirit led pastor to pray for people to receive the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. It's desperate. Intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. So it's communication now between God the Father who does all things, when he wants, how he wants, and the spirit who knows God, what God wants to do, and how he wants to do it. And you just happen to be the beneficiary. But it says, because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God, in accordance with his purposes, in accordance to God's plan, what God is doing, what God is doing. So Paul goes from there to now start this another, then he goes to another, a deeper revelation now. 8.28 says, popular scripture will, for at least those who have been Christians for a while. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Or, as another translation will put it, God causes all things to work together for good to those that love him 
and have been called according to his purpose, according to his will. So let me give you an instant, what, what that means. Whatever is going on in your life, it's almost like God has the master key or the joker. When he's going to intervene, he's going to look as if those crazy things were all part of the plan. Case in point, Joseph's life was crazy. Right? Brother sold him into, from Genesis 37, sold him to slavery in Potiphar's house. Things only gone from bad to worse. He winds up in prison. In prison, things are just crazy. And in one day, in one day, he becomes prime minister. I mean, who does that? In one day, one instance, no campaign, no, I mean, like that. From prison, only God, only God. But simply because, here we go again, God does what he wants, when he wants, the way he wants. And he has no one's permission. Left to Pharaoh, there is no reason for him to have promoted Joseph. Think about it. I mean, the guy has been in prison. He didn't even know Joseph was there. Nobody told him. But because God wanted to do something, it got his attention. Gave him some dreams. I mean, there are some of us, no matter who, no matter how atheist you are, if you get some, some very terrible nightmares, you will start to look for, I mean, every night. And that's the God that we serve. When he wants to do something, he knows what to do. He does. All right. Now, but note, God does not work everything together for good for everybody. We can't just quote that scripture and make it look as if, oh, it's there, it's mine. Because really well, there are conditions to it. If, well, if you want to call it condition. It says, God causes all things to work together for good for those who what? Who love him. So let's start with those who love him. How do you know that you love God? Jesus made it simple. If you love me, you will obey my commands. It's Valentine's Day, and there are a lot of people who are going to profess love. <laughs> I just profess love to my wife. You have to ask her. Is this guy for real or not? Or is just saying it because it's on TV? So if you love me, Jesus said, you will obey my commands. So those are the people God works everything together for good. And then, this is the kicker. Those who have been called according to his purpose. So God is obligated to his own purpose to his own will, to his own plan. Not to anybody else's. That is why it's called aligning. And I'm thankful that God gave pastor that word. 
That is why you are lying. God is not obligated to do anything for those who are not in alignment. So we'll continue. Um, this is where it even gets more interesting. As Paul, the Holy Spirit starts leading Paul down a, a, a well, don't let me call it a rabbit hole. An interesting, very interesting part of God. Now, there's like seven phases or actions that God takes to work all these things together for good for us. There are these things that God has done. Now, 29 talks about this. It says, remember we're talking about the purpose now of God. Because it says, it does this for those who love him. And those who have been called according to his purpose. He now begins, he wants to define that now. And he says, for those God foreknew. Now we're getting to what I call God level now. This is God. God for new, meaning he knew you beforehand. He knew you in advance. He knew you ahead of time. He knew you before you were born. He knew you before you were even conceived. Jeremiah 1.5, when God was calling Jeremiah, God had to tell him some things to convince him. And this is what he said, Jeremiah 1 verse 5. says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Like, wow. Before... <laughs> your parents got together. God knew you. In fact, your parents getting together was God just looking for a body. Hmm. How do I know that? Jesus said somewhere, a body you've prepared for me. I think God, when, when they were talking about Jesus. So, God was just looking, okay, I have this guy. Hmm. Who should we bring him through? And there are many to come until Jesus starts that God is just looking for, you know, who do we bring them through? Let's get this Valentine thing going. <laughs> All right, that was just a joke. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's probably true anyway. We, are, we see things, God sees things very differently. Hallelujah. Ah, glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, he knew us. There's some people here, I mean, or people listen to me online, you think, you know, there's no purpose to my life. Why am I here? Things are so bad. You're letting, you know, thoughts get into your head that you're not worthless, you're not anything. And God is saying, I knew you. In fact, I knew the family you're going to come through. Ephesians chapter 3 talks about God being the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
Folks, we have family in heaven. I'm sure some of you know that. So he has those, you see, this is the part of God, I'm just like, wow, this is, I mean, God, how do you, it begins to kind of like, eh, how do you do this? Because this small brain of mine, I'm going to need the Holy Spirit for me to understand how you do these things. But he has these families, he gives them names, and he sends people through them. Now, Paul, during his own call, when God called Paul in Galatians chapter 1, this is what he said. Galatians chapter 1, 15 to 16. It says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Now, just before that, he'd been talking about, look, I've been doing all this crazy stuff, persecuting Christians and all that, but God had his own purpose and plan for me that had nothing to do with it. For lack of a better term, the crap I was doing before, he called me. Because God knew him before he was born, right from his mother's womb. And the same for all of us here, the same for everybody listening to me online. He knew you before. Now, on the basis of God's foreknowledge, he chooses. 1 Peter 1, verse 1 to 2. You know what? Let's read that real quick. 1 Peter 1, verse 1 to 2. Peter speaking to the church scattered in uh, Pontus and Galatia, some other uh, uh, places in Asia Minor, says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then he talks about the Spirit and the Son. So God knows, and then he chooses. So there's something about you that God knows. And that's why he's choosing you. I may not feel it. I may be like, uh, but something God knows about you. You might not know, but he knows. I think I was chatting on some online forum during the week at some point. This is the ways God kind of helps me to crystallize what he wants me to preach about. And the person was asking that, wow, they said, ah, how come God chose David? How come, you know, Saul, that whole fiasco? Is it just by grace or what? And I said, yes, there's grace to it. But God chooses based on his foreknowledge. He said, what's his testimony about David? He says, I have found David. A man after my heart. Who will do everything I want him to do. So somehow God was searching because Israelites asked for a king. They found Saul, Saul messed up. So God kept on searching and then finds someone for knowledge. Because you're like, how did God know? So the fact that you're here, the fact that you're listening to this message, the fact that you're a Christian is that God, in his foreknowledge, somehow, the fact that he's called you, and I'm sure most of us here, which we'll get to this in a minute, 
God, you're already getting these things about some big thing, and you're just like, man, I can't do that. I mean, this, you almost like feel like Jeremiah, that no, 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 you can't be calling me to this big thing. And God is saying, like he told Jeremiah, I'm the one who is calling you. I set you apart. There's something I see in you. If I put it this way, to bring it in scientific terms, the spiritual DNA, God knows what's in there. You know, there's this thing about DNA that, you know, once it's in the DNA, genetic disorders, genetic this, genetic that, you just know that people are going to be like that. It's in the same way. God knows you. He knows what you are capable of. By his grace, he knows. So whatever that dream is, whatever that thing has been going on in your mind, you've been pushing out, I want to tell you today, God knows you. God knows what you are capable of when you partner with him. Your calling is not an afterthought. God saves you because he has a purpose for you. Before God created anything, he had a plan for you. There's no such thing as an insignificant Christian. Every one of us is vitally important. Furthermore, when God chooses you to do something for him, he knows you can do it. He never chooses you to do something that you are not capable of doing by his grace. Never run away from your calling out of fear. You will fail. Jonah panicked. But God gave him a second chance. And Jonah is the only recorded guy. I believe, someone can correct me, in scripture, who preached in a town and the entire town repented. Even animals fasted. <laughs> is there? Jonah, read the book of Jonah. Let me shake our theology a little bit. Even Jesus did not get something like that. In some of these places, they were just, they were mad at him, you know, all sorts of things were happening. But a whole city, well, okay, let me, I'm going to correct myself now. I think in some of Paul's things, they would say the whole city did something, did that. But Jonah, I mean, that for the Old Testament, that, that was big. For a guy who was running away from his calling, so never doubt yourself. Never doubt God's will or purpose for you. So, let's move on. Those whom... God foreknew, he chose. All right? A lot of times we think we are the ones who are choosing God, but God is actually the one who chose John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Those whom God foreknew, knew beforehand, he chose, he predestined. We use this word a lot, especially in um, African Christian circles. Destiny. 
destiny helper. Destiny this, destiny that. Don't let someone steal your destiny. <sighs> I kind of always find it interesting. But anyways, God destined us. This is, this is the number one destiny. To become like Jesus. Pretty much. That is your destiny. What does that mean? It means beforehand. He predestined you. This is an example of destiny. Romans chapter 9 talks about when Paul was going into one of these for lack of a better term, rabbit trails, was trying to explain a concept. He said, you know what? Not all the descendants of Abraham are guaranteed the promise. God chose some of them, some not. I mean, basically, at least there were two sons. Um, Ishmael and Isaac. God decided to choose Isaac. He now said, even the Isaac had two sons. Twins, born same day. God decided said before they even did anything, God decided to choose one over the other. And said, pronounce the destiny, the older shall serve the younger. Now, people always get scared when I'm preaching this. I mean, don't even say man, when we get along this path. But I'm like, to me, there's nothing to be scared about. Why? Because he chose me already. So I'm on the, I'm on the good side. And he chose you guys already. So there's nothing to be worried about. The thing is, you're just like, you should go back to God in deep appreciation of his grace. That he chose you to become like Jesus. And that's the destiny. It's not going to change, except you walk away from it. You are destined to become like Jesus. The goal is so that Jesus may become the firstborn among many, many, many brothers and sisters. That was always God's plan. Not to just have one son, but to have many that are like him. But in different shapes and sizes and color of skin and character and complexion. So that is the destiny. To become like him in power and in character. I must say that again. In power and in character. So everything that Jesus did, that is your destiny, to become like him. To become like him. So after he predestines us, so these are things he did in eternity past now, if I can call it eternity past. These are things he did even before we were born. Then, Scripture says, he calls us. Just want to read that scripture that we're, everybody, we're all on the same page. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 to 30. Says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed or to become like the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. So at some point now, God intervenes in your life, meaning your physical life here on earth, to let you know what he's done for you. 
That is the call. And it's a very, very critical point in our lives because your response to that call affects the plan, affects the purposes, affects your life, affects how God wants to really, really work with you, partner with you. Your provision, your blessings, all the good things in life that we want are linked to that call, are linked to being aligned with that call. What does God want you to do? Where does he want you to be? If he doesn't want you to go somewhere and you're going there, things are not going to work as they should. Why? Because he's not obligated to you like that. He's obligated to his plan. If you're in the center of his plan, oh, ask me of anything and I'll do it for you. So every day I said, when God has foreknown us, chosen us, and predestined us, then he intervenes in our lives at a particular moment and calls us. The call of God is the point at which God's eternal purposes emerge out of eternity and impact us in time. Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. I just wanted to give us an example. This is how God called Isaiah. It says, in the year King Uzziah died. Notice that. He's giving you a time. Remember all that we're talking about? Eternity, eternity, eternity. This is before. We can almost not put a time to when it happened. But then, God suddenly, showed, there's a time, boom, in the year that King Uzziah died. If you go to Luke chapter 3 or so, when it talks about John the Baptist, it tells you an exact time. In the year of Caesar Tiberius, who actually existed. I mean, these people actually existed. Caesar Tiberius. Boom, the word of the Lord came to John. So the word of the Lord came to Isaiah here, and he opened his eyes, and he saw God, and um, he saw the, uh, the seraphim and all those things, and he says, wow, woe is me. I have seen God. And God then introduces the call. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here we go again. It's not as if God was asking his permission, but God wanted to partner with him. God was giving him a deal of a lifetime, which is the call for every one of us. It's the deal of a lifetime. Don't blow it. It's the deal of a lifetime. Don't blow it. And he responded, well, here am I, send me. I pray that will be our response in Jesus' name. Let me move quickly along. Now, some of these, God being the way God is, sometimes they can compress all of what I'm saying in one instant. Now, he calls, he may call and save at the same time. Sometimes he saves and then calls after. All right? So because I have it here that he saves us. Okay? I don't want to dwell too much of that. Because that's salvation. Obviously, we have to be saved. If you're, if you're going to call and walk with God, he has to save you from your sins save you from eternal destruction, all right? But not only that, he justifies. That is a concept we need to get deep into us because when we are walking with God, 
Because God is so holy, things are beginning to happen. We may start feeling unworthy. We start feeling because we tripped up and all that. But God already took care of that. As far as heaven is concerned, you are not guilty. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. In fact, the um, popular Bible teacher, Derek Prince, likes to say this. A way for you to remember justification. See, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Like you've never sinned before. Because there had been an exchange. They took Jesus' righteousness and gave it to you. And your sin, they gave it to Jesus. You have to let that sink in. Why? Because God makes a demand on it. So he takes Jesus' righteousness and gives it to you and expects you to walk that righteousness. Did we get that? It's like, okay, we've taken you, we've washed you up, we gave you Jesus' righteousness. What makes Jesus righteous? What makes him righteous? We gave it to you. So now walk righteous. Amen. Okay, in the little time that I have left, there's an interesting concept that I want to get us to. And may God help us. Because it's a very interesting thing. It can be very difficult to define. Romans chapter 8. Verse 29 to 30 says, okay, let me just go to 30. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. It's hard to define glory. But when you see it, you know it. We say it a lot in, refer in reference to God. Glory. So I had to look at it in the dictionary. Splendor, excellence, things are just going right. Somewhere it talks about uh, the glory of a king is to have many subjects. Glory. When it talks about the Shekinah glory of God, I mean, they were opening the temple and the glory of God invaded the place. And nobody could move. Glory. Peter was walking and his shadow, people wanted to touch his shadow. And in substance thing. That's the glory. An handkerchief from Paul was taken from two places. And people got healed, demons got cast out. Glory. That's the glory of God. So it can be hard to define. But I'm giving us examples. When things are just going right with you, people want to be around you, and they're like, man, this guy's, we're just drawn to you. Glory. Glory. And God gives this glory for his own purposes because he knows what that glory can do. I mean, sometimes if it's too much, your own head. Yeah. I mean, I, remember, I mean, there are men, men of God. I mean, okay, let me give an example of glory. There's a woman called Catherine Coma. She will be preaching, and people will just suddenly get healed. 
she was not even talking about healing. Glory. Some of us have seen Benny Hinn, right? Just like that. And people in that section just fall. Nobody touched them, at least physically. It's hard to describe. I've seen, I've tried to listen to men of God try and describe this thing. It can be very difficult to describe. I think Ryan Debunky was talking once that he was preaching in a place and he just saw this thing move. He could not even describe it. He just came into the room and everybody started speaking in tongues like that. But I've said all this to say this. God has glorified you. His glory resides in you, resides upon you. It says, God has glorified. Because of time, I'm going to have to cut short a little bit. In, when we get home, we can read this story up. In Exodus chapter 33 or 34, it talks about Moses talking, having a conversation with God. And he said, God, show me your glory. And God said, okay, I'll show it to you, but you see my back, all that stuff. Because if anybody sees me face to, I mean, you would die, you can't leave. So God actually showed him the glory. Okay? He went back. He came back again. So by the time he went to the Israelites, his face was shining. It was radiant because he had seen the back of God. Glory. So he didn't really know what was going on. They said, you are, you know, you are shining. And then when he found out, so he said, come here. And then he put a veil on his face. And when he goes in the presence of God, he opens his face and all that. But the beauty of this, and this is where I want us to go home for assignment. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Paul speaking now. He goes into one of these revelations from the Holy Spirit. And he says, that glory of the old covenant was temporary. That is why Moses had to be covering his face because he didn't want the Israelites to see that the glory doesn't stay. After a while, it goes away. So he wanted to keep it. So that people will keep on, I mean, I mean, this is stuff when you have it. And Paul now said, but the glory of the new covenant that we are all partakers of now is greater than that glory. It's greater than it. God has glorified you. There are things working in your life, if you really look deep, that you can't explain. It's just the glory that people are attracted to. It's just the glory. The more you are aligned with him, the more that glory goes higher. The more there will be more. And I believe that's what God wants us to get to. Amen. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. Lord, there's a lot, there's a lot, 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 lot more, Father, you want to tell us. Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus, speak to our hearts. Help us to know. Lord, you know, I want to just invite people, if you have never given your life to God, you've heard all I've spoken about today. God exists. God is real. He's not just some God that's afar off. He's close. You can't see him, but he's close by. And he gave evidence by sending his son in human form. 
Yes, he came 2,000 years ago, thereabout. They nailed him on the cross. He died, but to give further evidence of his glory, raised him up from the dead. So that anyone who believes in him will have forgiveness of sins. Your sins have been bothering you, but Jesus is offering glory. He's offering his righteousness. He's offering to take away your sins. If you are willing to do that, I invite you. Wherever you are, at home, in the, in the auditorium, just rise up, place your hand on your heart, and just pray with me. Just talk to God in a minute, just in a few seconds. Invite him. Ask him to forgive your sins. Tell him you believe him. That God raised him from the dead. Father, in Jesus' name, I lift up this once into your hands. Lord, they've responded to your call. My Father, my God, I ask, Lord, that you visit them. Cleanse them from every iniquity. Put your glory upon their lives. Fill them with your spirit. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for everyone else that's here. Lord, you've called us. You've justified us. You've glorified us. Lord, I ask, Lord, make your calling clear to us. Help us to know the purpose for which you created us. That we may live the rest of our lives fulfilling that call, fulfilling that purpose. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.